0: Hey, thanks for chopping on. Today's podcast is about a meat-based diet. I made a podcast about the carnivore diet when I first kicked this podcast off, and it was one that I received a lot of feedback about. I know it's a topic that a lot of athletes, a lot of coaches, and and even, you know, gradually starting to seep out into the world this concept of the carnivore diet. It's been popularized by Dr. Sean Baker, it's being popularized by Dr. Paul Saladino um, in his debate with Lane Norton and uh, Mark Smelly-Bell and, and a few other people have sort of got the word out about this carnivore diet but really it's, it's been an underground movement for a couple of decades and, and probably has always existed uh, to some extent so what is it about, where am I at with it, is carnivore the way to go The reason why I started with talking about meat-based diet is because I don't think that we need to go into full, full carnivore for most people most of the time. Okay, so if you've listened to Michaela Peterson and Jordan Peterson's uh, podcasts on Joe Rogan, when they talk about the uh, carnivore diet, they basically say as soon as they have anything that's not carnivore they they have like massive depressive symptoms for like a month. Now, some people listening to that must be thinking, well, you know, these people, are, that's not possible. There's no way the food is doing that. I think it is possible that the food is doing that, but I would still hesitate to say that that makes meat-only diet, you know, the the way forward for everybody. I just don't think that makes any sense from an evolutionary perspective. You know, I think... We are designed to be able to eat a bit more than that, you know, and I think dogs and pigs and other animals um, will will eat a little bit of other stuff, um, you know pigs a lot more dogs a lot less, but I think there's a place and there's a possibility for for other foods to be used strategically. but I do think that that meat based diet is an important concept that we start to get across, and when I say meat, I mean more so. Um, animal products, but when I say animal products, I don't mean as much dairy. So I don't know exactly what the the best word for it is. The ancestral diet is one that some people like to use, which is kind of like a paleo diet. But then those words have been thrown around and, you know, people are eating these paleo bars with ingredients from, you know, 18 different parts of the world. And it kind of loses its meaning when you get to that point. So why is the meat-based diet the way forward? Why is that our baseline why why is that their diet that is getting the best results is because one it's super low allergen okay so all plants are poisonous all plants are poisonous it's just a question of of the dose and which parts of the plants so if you extract certain parts of the plants you know certain parts of the plants are, are fine to eat fruits for example you know the fruit of the plant is intended. To to attract a certain type of animal to, you know, disturb that fruit so that the seeds are transported or eaten and pooed out somewhere else. So the fruit has low toxicity, but the leaves of that same plant would still cause issues for most people. And you might go, well, there's leaves of some plants that I can eat, you know, like when you're eating spinach or broccoli and these sorts of and, and it's true that we have manipulated some plants. We've domesticated them in the way that we've domesticated dogs and cats. We've domesticated some plants to the point where they have low toxicity, where they can be sh- consumed in a, in a you know, human kind of quantity uh, without major symptoms for, for a lot of people. They can even have a positive effect in the same way that you know, smoking can irritate the body into producing um, its own you know, uh, antioxidants and glutathione and those sorts of things. Paul Saladino does a great job of explaining this. If you want to jump into the science of what's actually going on, we're getting that ometic effect. Ormesis is the idea that you irritate the body and in response to that irritation, you actually get a positive adaptation. So when we train and when we, you know, weight train, we do irritate the body. So for a lot of people, strength training it's a double-edged sword because if you already have too much stress and inflammation in the system, then bringing more stress and inflammation to the system is not always the answer for everybody. Uh, for most people, most of the time, it's, it is going to be positive and you are going to adapt. The body is extremely adaptive. And as you start to add muscle mass and as you create this growth uh, stimulus within the body, then you'll start to deal better with... Um, Glucose you know you'll start you 'll increase insulin sensitivity because you 'll have more tissue that 's able to mop that up you 'll be able to you know empty the glycogen out of the muscles so that they 're able to refill again and that in itself is is a huge gift to the body if you can have but better blood sugar control and use insulin uh, more effectively like that that 's a big win in itself. Muscle is an endocrine organ, so if you 're cultivating that organ and you 're supporting the function of that organ in the same way. You want to support the function of your liver. You want to support the function uh, of your kidneys, and you know Chinese medicine and and all traditional systems of medicine are built around this concept of you know function, uh, harmonious function uh, across the whole body, across the whole system. So we want to have stress. We want to have stress. We don't want to run away from stress. If we run away from stress, we'll find that we get ourselves to a very, very bad place. Okay, So trying to de-stress and, and, and have a stress-free lifestyle and all these kind of concepts that are kind of thrown around in the modern world, uh, this is not where we need to go. We need to, we need to go towards the stress, but we need to deal with it better. Okay, So you either have the stress of living your dreams or you have the stress of you know, not living your dreams, of living a sheltered life that, that you're not proud of and, and not having things that you're excited about every day. Okay so I want you to have the stress of chasing your dreams and and being slightly on the edge of your comfort zone. So you always give yourself you know slightly not a not enough time and you aim a little bit higher than you think you can achieve. And by doing that you do a lot of things that you're proud of and I think that that is a place to have great mental health from. Okay so the way you cultivate mental health and vitality, mental wellness to be in a great state mentally is to be living your dreams, living on purpose, to be connected to other people who are living their dreams and living on purpose. That's what Real Movement is about. We've, we've got so many people who are feeling like that and are you know, sharing that energy with each other that it's much less likely for people to feel the opposite of that where they feel really low mental energy and they feel like they're not you know, achieving anything and that they don't have purpose. And That's not a good place to live from. That's not how I want you guys to live. So... Getting back to the meat, the meat based diet is the ultimate elimination diet. Okay, so if we're talking about chicken and seafood, allergies are more likely to pop up. Beef allergy is very uncommon, uh, but it probably does still exist. Uh, It would be interesting to see if it how it how it faded, etc., if you if you actually took out a lot of the other stuff because a lot of it is cross reactivity as well. Okay, so if you look at if you listen to food allergy experts often they'll say that yeah this person's allergic to eggs this person's allergic to um, fish or something like that but then once they take out all the junk foods they take out gluten they take out other common allergens uh, or you know decrease all the plant foods then often the protein allergies will disappear you know and you'll hear people speak about that so the protein allergies yes they exist but often they disappear when other changes are made. Okay, so what do we actually want then? We want a low allergen diet if there is an autoimmune uh, challenge going on, if the body's immune system is being flared up um, too easily and the, the system becomes fragile through that, then we want to calm things down. So how do we, how do we calm things down? How do we move away from this you know, constantly uh, irritated Immune system, with well, taking out the plants is is one of the ways. Okay, so you can hear Michaela Peterson and Jordan Peterson explaining that as soon as they take out the plants, they just feel much much better mentally. Okay, so the devil's in the details in the dosage. When I'm talking about ormesis there I'm saying that at a certain dose, you know, broccoli and lettuce and cucumbers and stuff, they they don't have enough toxic load in them to, to cause any significant effect in the body, or they don't have enough drug-like um, compounds that the body is reacting to to cause a, a negative effect or, or any kind of symptoms at all. For a lot of people, this is the case. It depends on the integrity of your gut. It depends on, you know, your nervous system. It depends, you know, when we're talking about the nervous system, yeah, like it's the mental, the mental state and, the, you know, the high-stress nature of... Um, people's internal dialogue, you know, it's it's likely that with Michaela Peterson and Jordan Peterson, like there's there's a lot of tension in those systems and, and that potentially makes them more sensitive to things that we are not designed to eat in large quantities. We know that ninety nine percent of plants. let's go back a bit. Plants are poisonous. Ninety nine percent of plants, you know that if you eat them you're gonna feel sick. If you just go around eating the leaves off trees you know, if you start eating grass, any of these things, like you know that they're not good for you. You also know they don't hold a lot of nutrition. Mostly, you're gonna just crap out a big ball of you know leaf, fibrous leaf matter. If you look at herbivores, they have to punch through. The, you know, they eat all day to get their nutrition. Okay, I had goats here, but you know, you've seen with cows, like they're they're eating for a large portion of the day to be able to get enough stuff in their gut and then it's actually bacteria and microorganisms that are processing that that stuff into fatty acids and into proteins and into because the the bigger organisms that live in the guts of these animals we actually end up digesting those organs so cows aren't in fact herbivores one they'll go to the area where there's most insects in the grass so they're actually looking to to eat meat to eat uh, animals, and most animals have this instinct to to some degree uh, even the vegetarian and vegan cultures of the past are said to have you know had some some insects and such alongside with their you know eggs and and milk and that sort of stuff but when we 're talking about um, what that what those animals are actually eating well they 're fermenting things in their gut to be able to eat them, so they 're not actually eating the grass or the plants any more than we do they're just feeding them to the things that are living inside of them and then they eat those things that are living inside of them so the, they're actually living on animals they're you know the gorilla is still getting a protein fat diet the cow is still getting a protein fat diet this is this is the way i understand um, herbivore nutrition um, i have you know this is through study this is what i've come across i have looked for those resources that explain it really well Um, but then they're not presenting themselves super easily. So if you know stuff about that, if you've got some resources that explain that animal digestion, um, I'd love to hear from you about that. But basically by taking the more irritating foods out of the diet and nourishing the body with what we're made of, we are red meat. We need to have a bunch of B12. We need to have, you know, all these B vitamins, um, we need to have the blend of amino acids. You know, we, we want to have a significant amount of glycine and proline and we need to have what muscles are made of. So muscles are made of muscles. So when we eat muscles, we get the amino acid profile that muscles need. When we eat bone tissue and connective tissue, we have the amino acid profiles that the body needs to have strong ligaments, bones, tendons, you know, fascia, all that sort of stuff. So we the easier... The more we consume what we are, the easier it is for the body and Part of the reason why we adapted down our digestive system, so our digestive system shrunk by a third um, or at least it's three times smaller energy wise to a third of its you know former size or the size of most primates it 's shrunk massively, and our brains have expanded massively um, and if you don 't believe in you know the evolutionary approach, just know that at the moment our gut is you know, a third of the size of other equivalent primates, and our brain is, you know, three times larger, because we have that massive difference, we need to be fueled differently, okay, so we decided, whoever decided, whether it's design or evolution, doesn't matter, we use a lot less energy in digestion, and we use a lot more energy in the brain, okay, so we got more efficient fuel to be able to do that, and Anthropologists are saying that probably one of the biggest factors was being able to get enough fat. So we were able to get massive amounts of fat and because we're getting massive amounts of fat, we, we had sort of unlimited fuel supply. Fat is extremely, um, you know, it's more energy dense. It, the body doesn't have any kind of toxic uh, reaction to it or at least a, lo- a lot lower uh, response. Like if you just eat way too much of it, you'll, you know, it'll come out in your feces And you just kind of don't really want anymore. Whereas with sugar, we crave it because it was very difficult to get. It was really not a problem of over-consuming it. And so, you know, we we have a flavor for it. We want to eat a lot of it, but it's very toxic and the body tries to hold it within a very small range in the bloodstream. Okay, so our blood sugar doesn't tend to fluctuate uh, very much. In a healthy person, you know, your body will fight very hard to to dispose of glucose out of the bloodstream very quickly whether it's getting it out you know through the urine whether it's sucking it up into the muscles or as a last resort you know sucking it up into the fat cells it needs to get out of the bloodstream quickly whereas amino acids and fats you know then they're not being so tightly regulated because they're not so toxic so the curves you know they'll go up the blood concentration will go up and then you know much later it'll go down and they much. It's a much gentler process because you're not getting this uh, glycation and end glycation uh, products, etc. So you know the the sugar is causing significant damage where the the proteins and the fats are not. So when we eat what we are, it's much easier, simpler for the body uh, to to do what it needs to do to to perform its functions. Okay. So the anthropologist suggests that we were able to kill mammoths between two people. Um, or at least in small groups, we were able to kill mammoths. And there were many, many mammoths on the planet. And, you know, basically when we killed a mammoth, we had feasting for, for weeks, you know. We could, um, you know, dry that meat and, and preserve it and, and consume it in different ways. And, and when things were cold, you know, there was opportunities to store meat in the ice, etc. But the story is that we've had times where, there were basically no plant foods, and there was a lot of meat around. and And it seems very, very likely that we've been through periods like that in the not too distant past, where there were no plants um, to any significant degree, and there still aren't really. If you go to, you know, northern Europe, et cetera, a large part of the year, there's there are no there are no plants. Like there's, you, they could be storing some plants, but I mean, a lot of the even the potatoes and and things like that that are are kind of quite reliable they've only come to Europe you know relatively recently and so for those with you know more of a lighter complexion um, the the likelihood that you know your ancestors consumed a lot of carbohydrates for all of their history or for a large part of their history is unlikely so the closer we go to the food that our ancestors ate the better and even if you are consuming plant foods, you know, that paleo kind of uh, mentality is, is still a good one. Like what could your ancestors have eaten? What foods did your ancestors value? It's not a, it's, you know, the macro-based nutrition where you go, well, it doesn't matter as long as you hit your macros. You know, that, that's obviously stupidity. <laughs> Whether you have you know, 10% modern foods and, and foods that your ancestors couldn't have eaten you know that's that's debatable you know if it's if we're talking about ten percent it's a it's an academic discussion it's not necessarily a really important discussion if there's no major um, dysfunction in the system, then who cares about that ten percent you know i think like kino body's approach is like meat, potatoes, coffee, and then you know have a bit of whatever else so he has he has some dark chocolate which is pretty close to a paleo food as well you're getting a little bit of sugar you know, and you're getting chocolate, you know, cacao, cacao butter, not the end of the world. If if that's what you're eating and occasionally you have some junk food, you know, you can still get amazing results. But basically what he's telling you is to eat an ancestral diet, meat and potatoes, but it just doesn't have to be 100% orthodoxy. And And I understand that that is how some people intend macro-based dieting to be uh, understood. But I know that for a lot of people that are not taking that message on, they're extrapolating that out to as long as I get my protein target, my carbohydrate target, my fat target, and my calorie target, then everything will be fine. And that that is not the case. Everything will not be fine when you do that. Every animal has a specific diet that is best for them. And instinctively, all animals move towards their instinctive diet. You you put a slab of meat out in front of a goat, they're not going to eat it, but they will go and pick and choose different leaves all day And they're picking and choosing them based on the toxicity of those leaves. And and they're great at dealing with um, leaves in their gut. And they pass them through the system very regularly. They're they're constantly pooing. But they have the the internal mechanisms and the organisms living inside them to to process that. The herbivores with their multiple stomach systems and their very, very complex array of microorganisms that live inside of them. That's not us, okay? Small intestinal bacterial overgrowth is a human trying to be more ape-like, okay? So it's, you know, you can name the conditions, whatever you want, but when more bacteria start to live in the small intestines rather than just living in the large intestines, your body's trying to defend itself against a diet that it's not, you know, designed for. And you start to get different symptoms and challenges that come along when you do that, okay? So you're breaking away from your ancestral diet, your body is not dumb, it's not, a, it's, not, it's not an error, it's just trying to solve the problem that you're giving it, okay? So the small intestines having more bacteria in them makes us, you know, returns us to being more ape-like, more like a cow, more like a goat, but that's not what a human is meant to be, okay? So for some humans, they're gonna have high tolerance to these plant toxins and they're gonna deal with, you know, plant foods much, much better. They're gonna deal with sugar much, much better there will be a time where the body becomes depleted and it doesn't go well anymore. Okay. So initially a lot of people feel great. The first week, month, year uh, on a plant-based diet, basically because you start to break down a lot of your own tissues and you're eating yourself. And because you're eating yourself, the body is happy because eating red meat, the body is happy. So you're eating red meat, but you're just eating your own red meat. So you're getting a lot of B vitamins um, you know, you're getting everything that's stored in the muscle tissue and it's a, it's a great storehouse for, for what we need. But yeah, it's, it's not a long-term solution. You can't eat yourself forever. Okay, So the other great elimination diet is, is fasting and fasting also does the same thing. And, and people get those same kind of symptoms. Oh, I feel great when I fast. Yeah, cool. You feel great on the plant-based diet as well. It's the same thing. You're fasting, you're eating yourself, but you can't eat yourself forever, okay? So fasting became my solution um, together with sort of ketogenic diet, like ketogenic paleo. So gradually, I was getting to a more and more restricted kind of diet to try to optimize, you know, my recovery and, and improve my health. But when I started to incorporate a lot of fasting, I actually put a lot of green veg in at that time. And yeah, I, I you know, I got skinny and... You know, I put myself in a bit of a hole, like I'd started to struggle from recovering from training and I I think I became very depleted because I was fasting, I was consuming a lot of vegetables and I wasn't really focused on, you know, getting a good quantity of red meat in. I've been vegetarian for nine months and then I've, you know, restricted animal proteins at at other times and I can tell you that it definitely has a deleterious effect on my health and performance some people will will last longer and some people will do better um, for a period of time but I I don't believe there's that much difference between us I don't think it's like a case of you know well everybody's different and I don't think everybody's different like I think there's different breeds of goats and they have slightly different hardiness there's different breeds of horses and you know they can deal with different grasses to an extent but there's, you know, we're not that different. We, we, you know, we're meant to do well on meat and then carbohydrate tolerance is going to vary, okay? So meat is the base of the human diet and animal products are the base of the human diet. This is clear through, historic, you know, historical evidence, anthropological evidence. It's clear through our, our body, our anthropometry, um, our internal makeup, you know, that's who we are. The question then is that, you know, am I advocating for carnivore? It sounds like I'm advocating for carnivore because I'm making this case about plants. Well, I did mention that some fruits are are probably not toxic. I think maple syrup is is probably has a low toxicity. Uh, I think white rice has a very low toxicity. So there probably is a role for carbohydrates. There probably is a role for salads, you know, like uh, Jordan... Peterson is saying that it's it's not good for him to have a salad, but I don't know if it was specifically salad. I think it was salad that he was talking about or, or cooked a few vegetables. You know, the, in the Vince Gironde diets, who was a mentor of Charles Poliquin, it, there is a big emphasis on red meat and eggs, uh, a little bit of raw dairy, raw cream, but, yeah, fertilized quality eggs as well. So th- that's sort of... Um, concept was there in the education of of, of Charles Poliquin, and, and Charles Poliquin was a massive advocate for wild red meats. The wild meats are just going to have better qualities. They're going to have better uh, properties. The animals going to have a higher level of vitality and function. Okay, so if we're looking for vitality and function, we want to consume animals that had high vitality and function. You know, the the closer an animal is able to live to its ancestral lifet- lifestyle then the more it's taking us closer to our ancestral lifestyle because there were no um domesticated farmed animals that were being fed an artificial diet. You know, I'm not against, you know, sheep and goats and and cattle and that sort of thing. Goats are relatively undomesticated. They they they're still pretty wild and crazy and and hard to fence in from my experience, but um yeah, like looking at wild wild animals deer and and uh, bison and these kind of animals we'd rather go in that direction because they're more like our ancestral diet that's a simple logic to to apply against but getting some carbohydrate in at certain times look if you want to be world's strongest man you're going to eat carbohydrates you look at the the vertical diet from Stan Effending and I've I've heard uh, Sebastian Oreb you know speak about you know the version of the the vertical diet um that him and have thor Bjornsson and and these guys are, are moving towards it's broth it's meat uh and it's rice okay so there and there's a, there's more to the vertical diet and you can get into the details of that but there's there's not not a whole whole lot more the rice plays a part, right? If you want to be massive, if you want to be a sumo wrestler, you're not going to be a sumo wrestler on the carnivore diet, okay? So there's a lot of sumo wrestlers walking around in shopping centers. They've never done sumo wrestling, but they're following that kind of diet and you have to consume massive amounts of carbohydrate if you want to look like a sumo wrestler. So if you need to be massive, if you need to to be big, to be heavy, and you don't care too much about body fat, then carbohydrate is going to play a key role in that. And even if you want to be, you know, very, very muscular and lean, if you want to have a lot of muscle mass, carbohydrates most likely going to play a role with that. Okay. So bodybuilders will inject insulin. Bodybuilders will inject testosterone. Okay. So not all bodybuilders, there are natural bodybuilders. Some natural bodybuilders have still done that and they just say they you know, haven't and they're not doing it at the moment or whatever, but that's a whole other topic. But you know, bodybuilders will, will play with hormones. Okay. So obviously you want to be looking at your food from an endocrinological perspective. Okay. So if, if, if steroids work, then intelligently designing your diet to work around your hormones is obviously makes a lot of sense because bodybuilders are injecting insulin. Okay. So when are they injecting insulin and what are they doing it for? Okay. So we need to have foods don't inject insulin, by the way. If you're listening to this, that's not a good idea at all. And if you're thinking that you need to take steroids to have a decent physique, you probably don't, you know, like have a look at the muscle number stuff and get yourself over 90 with body fat percentage, you know, under 12 and, and then reevaluate because that's very, very doable. Um My muscle numbers, it's about 92 to 94. That's not a big guy, you know. 100 muscle number makes you a a freak, you know. Makes you like you're at a really good level for for natural muscle development. If you can be there and lean, you know, congratulations. Some people will get to 110 muscle number, natural uh, and lean. You know, Mitch Pike is one of them. Sonny Bill Williams is one of them. Most people aren't going to get to that point. Like there are genetic differences. If you look at breeds of bulls. You know, there's some bulls that have massive amounts of muscle mass. There's some bulls that, you know, don't look quite as much like that. I'm I'm probably not one of those massive, massive bulls. You know, it's just joint sizes and, and yeah, genetic history. Like, no one in my family is, is big on either side. They're both kind of slender builds as far as I can see. But that's okay. You know, like, I, I feel as though a good physique is within reach. Sometimes I feel like I'm there. Sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm a bit under that, but don't inject insulin. Don't take steroids. Don't need to just focus on performance, focus on being able to do good stuff. And, and, you know, you're not setting a good precedent for your, your friends and family and clients and things because, you know, it's not a path that you want to lead other people down. So, so why go there kind of thing is, is my message. And that, you know, obviously that throws stones at people like you know, The Rock and Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, a lot of these people are kind of held up and, and looked up to in society. And it is a bit of a shame um, that a lot of the kind of big male role models, you know, John Cena and these guys, you know, a lot of them have, have admitted to steroids. I don't know if all those guys admit to, to steroids. But, you know, it's, it is a shame that, um, <clears throat> you know, the role models are kind of a little bit out of reach. Of the average person without going down that same chemical pathway but what I do want you to understand and what I want you to think about is that we should be thinking about hormones from that same perspective as elite bodybuilders okay so we want to have some insulin around workouts we want to have amino acids in the bloodstream during the workout and then we want to have some insulin after the workout we want to have insulin Release we so insulin is the storage hormone, and we want to store amino acids. people think of insulin mostly around glucose and that's that is the case we want to store glucose inside the muscles muscle glycogen and return that muscle to its you know an energy filled state but we also want to um, be able to um, get amino acids into the muscle cells okay so that that is going to be facilitated also by insulin we want to get amino acids into into the muscles uh, when they're ready for it okay so the anabolic window becomes shorter as you become more trained so it becomes more important to have the amino acids there present uh during and and soon after the workout okay so beginners the anabolic window for restoration or after a crazy crazy workout it will be longer be 24 48 hours the muscles still bringing up amino acids but as we become more trained, that, that window becomes shorter. And so workout nutrition becomes more important. Okay, so we we do want to push insulin post-workout. We do want to bring cortisol back down and push testosterone back up. Okay, so carbohydrate post-workout is proven to decrease cortisol levels. So cortisol is the breakdown hormone, energy-liberating hormone. Yes, we want to liberate energy during the session so we want cortisol to go up cortisol is not the enemy cortisol is key for energy and um, yeah we want some some tissue breakdown and some energy release during our workout that's how we're going to feel great after the workout we want to bring that back down we want to push testosterone back up so feeling like your workout is a success is also a big part of what's going to make a difference there in terms of getting that testosterone back up if you had a winning workout and uh, Ben from ATG has some great stories around that. Um, But that's how we want to be looking at it. And so carbohydrate can fit into that. We can do a whole other podcast if you want around uh, nutrition work, you know, workout nutrition and doing that with whole foods, with real food. Um, And potentially that's a place where supplementation can be used. And you might be like, well, you just talked about, you know, ancestral diet and now you're talking about supplements it's not an orthodoxy. There's always going to be contradictions. There's always, I'm always going to have contradictions in the messages that I share. The only people who don't have contradictions are the people who aren't saying anything. Okay, so if 99%, 95% of your diet is ancestral food and 5% of your diet is supplements that you feel play a role in your goals in life and they use some, some modern technology and modern science and other things, that may not be the worst thing maybe, you might say, no, that makes that makes you a bad person. Okay, if that makes me a bad person, that makes me a bad person, but I'm going to live my best life. If my best life involves that, then, I'm, then it's, that's how I'm going to do it. And okay, if you want to live, you know, if your 5% involves Mars bars and, and, and chocolate smoothies and chocolate milkshakes from McDonald's or whatever, you know, that's that's your call. Like, that's okay. But if you're getting that 90, 95% right, it's probably not too bad, but if it fits your macros, when it's taken out to be most of the diet and people are just having junk all day and protein powders and, and, and stuff to hit their macros, like that's, that, that ends very badly. And I think that's what's happening with that message. And that's why I'm you know, very strongly opposed to just saying, get your calories right and you know eat less, move more. Like these messages are just so dumbed down that they're stupid and that they're doing a lot of damage. Um, because people are losing the whole point with that um, and they're getting yeah they're getting the wrong message so that is it that is uh, that is the meat based diet consume animal products as the foundation of your diet and get your carbohydrate intake from low irritant sources and you know get the quantity right for you earn your carbs is what charles poliquin used to say and it's clear that earn your carbs Policy is clear within Vince Gironda's nutrition. I think Vince Gironda is a great place to look for nutrition. I think Charles Poliquin, I think uh, Mauro Di Pasquale is a great place to look for, for nutrition. Um, I think that uh, Western A. Price Foundation is a great place to look for nutrition. They probably went a bit too far with the grains, but they've got the message right around uh, soaking those grains and that sort of stuff. Um, it's probably a couple others worth a mention, but that's they're really great places to, to start. Would love to hear your feedback on today, your take-homes, what you're trying for yourself. It's been over a year and a half since I've been meat-based. I would say, yeah, 90, 95%, 90, 95% of my calories have come from animal products uh, over the last year and a half. It has been better for me. It's not always perfect. I've always kind of had different challenges around health, but generally, I would say my health has been much better. I've seen my training has been better. It's been easier to keep it on track. Um, Mental health, mental stability, better. When I start throwing in a bunch of other stuff, I do tend to notice a change in mood and anxiousness and those sorts of things uh, come along reasonably quickly if I mess around with. Too much stuff away from the ancestral human meat-based diet. Um, so yeah, interested to hear your thoughts. There's a lot more detail that we could go into on exact exact execution of the meat-based diet. And there's more detail that we could go to uh, around the, the post-workout nutrition and what the best options are when we're not consuming uh, animal foods. But uh, yeah, if you're interested in going further into that, if you've got any questions... Hit me, and uh, yeah, if you enjoyed it, send it to a friend, subscribe, comment on the podcast. I appreciate your support. This is a, a massive uh, part of you know real movement exists and allows me to do this. I'm able to do this these podcasts because I, I have real movement, and real movement um, educates coaches. We work with the best coaches around the world, coaches who have ambition to really make a difference in the world. It's a practical education. So it's about you doing, you're moving through from white belt to gray belt to red belt to black belt. By the time you've done that, by the time you achieve even the gray belt, even, you know, and especially the red belt, you're in the top 1% of coaches in terms of what you can do. You're around other coaches who are making a difference, who are building businesses. And, you know, that is, is what I'm excited about. I love helping people to build businesses to change their economic future, because I feel as though once you have economic empowerment, then you have another level of freedom and another level of possibility to to make the world a better place, to help other people. Okay. So I help you help yourself. And when you lead yourself well, when you become a leader in your own life, then you get, you know, you become able to lead others and you get into a position to be able to lead others. And, you know, there are a lot of great leaders who've come through Real Movement Program and a lot of them are, are still active in the group and, and supporting other coaches to do that as well. So, if that is what you're looking for, if that's why you keep listening to podcasts, if that's why you tune into this podcast, then let me help you be a better leader. We've got two programs. One of them's less than twenty five bucks a week. The other one's you know less than one hundred and twenty five. Those super cheap uh, prices, accessibility to what we're doing with Real Movement, are only available until the end of September. At the end of September, our prices jump up. It may be before that, depends on numbers. But we've done no advertising uh, since the relaunch of Real Movement at the start of the year, but the full relaunch uh, at the start of uh, June. We've come a long way in that period of time, and I'm super, super excited for, for where we're going with this. We're bringing on coaches all around the world. We have coaches in Hong Kong, Singapore. Um, we have coaches in Ireland. We have a lot of coaches in France. i talking to a guy in England today. We have two Scottish guys. Uh, I'm talking to a coach in India at the moment. We have coaches in New Zealand. This is going to be the biggest thing in coach education in the world. I have little doubt about that. There's a lot of work to be done. I'm very excited to do that work. The connection with ATG, ATG coaches, the connection with Ben Patrick grows stronger all the time. I believe that Ben is is going to be, you know, one of the most uh, impactful coaches of our generation. You know, I think that he's up there with... Louis Simmons and Charles Poliquin, as guys that have revolutionary ideas uh, and a way of getting their message across that, that changes, changes lives, changes the world. There's probably challenges with understanding Charles and Louis. Ben lays things out super, super clear. The ATG for coaches content is next level. You get that in part of that $24 a week uh, subscription. You also get online training with that. You get accountability. You set goals. Uh, for yourself, and we w- move towards those goals together. Uh, there's so much there. It's 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 uh, it's a big product, and it's very exciting to be able to offer it at such a cheap rate. Anyone you know can access that product. We are also doing scholarships for people who are, you know in dire straits or living in you know countries where the wages are a fraction of of what they are in the Western world. This is not just something that we're going to roll out to those who can afford it. We're going to roll this out to the whole world. Okay, so. Uh, we're building the product, we're building the audience. Any way that you can support that, get involved with that, you know, play your part is massively appreciated. If you share this podcast, if you subscribe and like this podcast, and you're supporting my journey, my purpose in life. I would like to support you with your journey and your purpose in life. I know that I can do that to a better degree than pretty much anything else that's out there because I've tried a lot of what's what else is out there. I work with people who've tried everything else that's out there um, yeah, let's do something big. Let's make some changes in the world. I got calls today with a number of these, uh, real movement coaches, helping them just lay out exactly what they want, how they're going to get it. And then we execute. So no one else is offering this service. No one else has, you know, had success with NRL teams with, you know, working privately with some of the best athletes in the world, world champion athletes, you know, I've done that and real movement coaches do that, but we also build up that other side and we've had over a hundred gyms open. It's a unique position. No one else has this product in the market. Um, You know, Charles Poliquin had something along these lines. It wasn't very accessible economically and it wasn't as community based as what we're doing. So, you know, I think we're creating something very, very special. We're going way, way beyond anything that's out there. Um, Unfortunately, most people don't know about it yet, but Advertising will begin soon. The product will always be develop- being developed, um, but yeah, it's come so so far just in the last couple of months, and uh, it'll go a lot further in the le- in the next couple of months. The next month in the over the next year, we- we're we're going to take this thing out to the world. We're going to spend a lot of time on the road, and uh, I'm very excited for that. So thanks for tuning in, and uh, I hope things are going really well for you. Looking forward to to speaking to you soon, and um, I want to keep this this podcast rolling. So. Give me some feedback and we'll speak soon.